Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. Welcome back to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. Today, we are going to discuss culture and changing it. Um, how to affect change in our culture. There's been a lot of people that have been trying to do this. This is kind of what spawned us jumping onto this topic, mm -hmm. is the number of people that believe that they can just change the culture with a tweet or a movement or a hashtag, if you're really shallow, a challenge. I'm sorry, that was oh, harsh. Oh man, I, I, I don't want to take on ice bucket challenge, but yeah. that was like, we're going to change. What was it? ALS? Yes. But hey, it did bring a lot of awareness. So that's something. Which is my daughter's initials. Oh. I didn't notice that until we named her that, <laughs> that it was actually also the short form of a disease. <laughs> Sorry, Elena, my bad. <laughs> so we were really careful about the middle name with having the A and the S. So yes. oh, we yes. picked L and well, that was probably... It could have been worse. It could have been worse. Yes. We digress. Yes, here very we go. much so. Here we go. <laughs> the affecting change in our culture, people believe that they can change it a number of different ways. We saw the tweets, Save Our Girls... And it was a hashtag and it right. went viral and it was about saving kids that have been kidnapped in Africa. Did they ever get them back? They got some of them back. They got a lot of Just them back. Just recently, I think. Boy, we didn't do our research on that but one. That's, that but, came that's, up. but that's the thing is it. we see so much today where you get caught up in the initial wave of something, but you don't actually care enough about it to follow it all the way through to its end. It's one of the guys that I worked with called this slacktivism. Mm. It's not actually activism because yeah. you're not actively doing anything. Right. You're just, it's the lowest form of activism. Right. Like saying, it's turned into a weird form of self-gratification. Because basically if you can hashtag something or if you can tweet about something or if you can tell somebody they're terrible for not caring about something, it makes you feel superior like you have some kind of high moral ground. Isn't the term for that virtue signaling? That is one term that I've heard thrown around for it. Yes. I don't absolutely. know if that has a bad connotation. No, it, it doesn't have a it doesn't have a bad connotation. Well, it would have a bad connotation to some who are virtue with signaling. It. Yes, yes. So we've had pray for Paris, we've had pray for Manchester, we've had pray for every time there's pray for Boston. Yeah. Or was that stand with Boston? Stand with Boston was a Stand that with was, Boston. Yeah. Every time there's a disaster, there's you put like that national flag on your over your Facebook photo, and, and and what did you actually do? Exactly, what did you actually do? Did you stop the next terrorist? Did you somehow prevent another attack? Did you send anybody money? <laughs> I guess is that the point? Like people think that money is going to change something. Oh, oftentimes that is that is the thought. 
that is unfortunately all too often the thought. But again, I think this comes to that core human need of feeling like you're you're a good person or worthy of something. And that's where this automatically, that's where this stems from. So because the terrorists were bad and what they did was bad, as long as I'm on the other side, then I'm good. Showing public disapproval and or approval for something signals your morality. Or your virtue. Or so your virtues. Virtue Hence virtue signaling. Yes. Okay. So we're just talking this out. You're a part of this. You're yeah. along for the ride yeah. as a listener. We're talking out why people think they're actually changing something by doing this stuff. Right. And how do we actually affect change in our culture? If we wanted something to change, how do you actually get that done beyond a tweet, beyond joining some sort of movement that rises and falls and goes away? I don't really find it useful to do some of the things that people are doing with the protest. Like, I don't see things changing based on protests. Right. So you have these anti-Trump protests, and then you have counter-protests, and then you have militant versions of both that want to punch each other. Right. And you call one group Nazis, so you're allowed to go punch them. And then those people are tired of getting punched, so they punch right. back. And it, I don't think that's changing our culture in a good way. No. So to me, that's like the extreme end of protesting. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to protest, you're kind of spawning a counter-protest. Just the larger your protest, the more likely there's going to be a counter-protest. Right. And what gets done? Right. Absolutely. Therein lies the issue. That's my thing. How do we change our culture? And that's one of the things I wanted to discuss here today. Yeah. How do we actually change it? I can't believe at this stage of my life that protests accomplish anything. Um, the best thing that I would say maybe nonviolent protest spawned was the um, civil rights movement yeah. in America. And that was a lot more than protest. Yes, it was. So I want to talk a little bit about that and also some other movements that were successful in actually changing the culture. Um, women getting the right to vote, great thing. Um, and it happened through a movement. Yeah. And a lot of things went into that, but they didn't have Twitter. Right. They didn't have Facebook. And, they, and it wasn't just protest. Right. And it wasn't just sending money to something. I think a lot of times that reason we have so many people so angry about stuff is because they feel powerless to change it. Yeah. And then they jump on the easiest train that they believe will change it the quickest. Right. If I can just change my Facebook profile and that is part of a movement, then I feel like I've done something. Yeah. And you've done nothing. And so you're going to continue to be mad. Right. About what's going on. Right. Right. And, and again, it's not enough. If you want to actually affect change in things, it's not enough to simply have an opinion. Like there has to be, there has to be sacrifice. There has to be intentionality. And that's what you see in, in the civil rights movement. You know, these were people who were, you know, you look at something like the bus boycott and we, we, we tend to associate that with something like boycotting Chick-fil-A. And it's not the same thing at all. Like this was people's only mode of transportation and they were choosing to not patronize this anymore, which was a sacrifice for them because yeah. of a greater good. And we don't do that so much anymore. 
boycotts today are so weird, and I don't think they accomplish near what people think they no. do. The boycott of Chick-fil-A, I think, had the reverse effect. Yeah. Where the day there was supposed to be a boycott, I know that I know many different places that either had a church or a business or somebody went out and bought Chick-fil-A for all the people there. Yeah. I don't need an excuse to go to Chick-fil-A anyway. I mean, I will go. I will, I will drive and just go there. It's I not mean, a problem. Just for the sauce. That's it's right. The bomb. It's, it's delicious. So I think that boycotts, even... I always had trouble in the late 80s. It seemed like Christians boycotted everything. Yeah. Like we boycotted like Cabbage Patch dolls. Oh, yeah. And trolls. Oh, yeah. And what else did we boycott? All kinds of everything. I mean, you you name it. Anything. Honestly, there was kind of a there was kind of a phase in the eighties and early nineties where if anything was popular, we assumed there was something wrong with it. That Pokemon. The, that the devil was pogs. in it somehow. Yeah, it, it, you name it. That's right. Christians were against pogs. Oh yeah, that was literally cardboard. Right. And like a slammer. Right. And it's a game. Right. And there was the assumption that, oh, well, it's addictive. Kids are just getting into it, so there must be something demonic behind it. And I would roll my eyes. So if, like, spinners were around back then, then they would have... No, I'm I guarantee, just saying. No, I guarantee you, you could, you could get on the internet now and find somebody who's claiming that spinners are of the devil and giving a reason why. I, so I promise it still you. exists today. It does but still exist. I'm saying as a culture, the Christian culture was more likely to boycott things until we figured out that didn't really accomplish... Right what we were looking to accomplish. Right. Like we didn't end abortion by boycotting something. Right. It's still here. Right. You know? And I guess looking back, one of the things that I loved about um, the movie Amazing Grace mm. was how they got rid of slavery in Britain without firing a shot. Yeah. And they actually changed the culture through kind of a backdoor, understanding the law, understanding the time, timing it right, and getting a law passed that event that cut the legs out of the slave trade right. and basically said, if you're a slave ship, you don't have protection of the crown. And so they were scared to sail into some of the waters that they needed to sail into right. in order to trade. Right. And so that effectively ended the slave trade and started the ball rolling and actually changed the culture. Right. Which, oddly enough, you can kind of parallel that with the with the American uh, death of the slave trade in in America, because it was on the track to do the same thing. You started to see laws like cutting out, you know, the outside uh, influx of slaves that w that was abolished, and and you started seeing things where where it was being walked back. But what did you have that was happening at the time? A very radical abolitionist movement that kickstarted around the same time. And you started seeing these things happening that were very pro very similar to a lot of the things that we see today in the protest movements and, and different things like that. And that started fear in the South. That started anger and hatred in the North. And it just turned into this whirlwind that put it on a collision course for civil war. Whereas it could, have, again, it could have met a peaceful end as well. Yeah, the timing was really bad in America, but turned out very good in Britain. But they they had they still had a fight, right? And people had to be active and had to know what to do and when to do it, right? And if you haven't watched it, go watch the movie Amazing mm -hmm. Grace. It is phenomenal. Um, but I want to talk about how can we change the culture. So if you see something that to you, the cult is going to destroy people. It's going to 
lead somebody to ruin? How do you stop that happening on a cultural level? What works? What doesn't? Yeah. I think one of the things that I've realized is this is even something that's really prevalent in the Christian community because everybody between 15 and 20 thinks that they're going to change the world. I mean, think about that. You you hear it all the time, whether it's, and it's not even just in the church, but, you know, graduation ceremonies or, or different, you know, people preaching at you, whatever. There's just this constant, we're going to change the world, the world is going to be transformed through us. And I've come to the realization, the older I've gotten, that nobody has ever changed the world on purpose. People who have changed the world did not set out to change the world. They saw a particular problem, and they wanted to change that problem. And they maybe saw it locally, and then it expanded. That's the thing you see with, with, with Martin Luther King and with the Civil Rights Movement. It started as a very local problem. There were pockets of people that were addressing things that were going on in their communities, which eventually united and started to look at the whole country. And so I think that, first of all, you have to approach it from the standpoint not of there's this global problem and how do I fix it, but here's what's going on in my neighborhood, here's what's going on in the house across the street, and here's what I can do to affect change in that place. And it has to be personal for you. Like, you can't, to me, love is one of the most powerful forces. And so if you don't actually love the person that you're trying to help, and you're just trying to score yourself political points, it's not going to it's not going to create a movement. If you just want people to give you money and you choose a particular cause and you time it right and people happen to be passionate about that cause and they send you tons of money, I, that's not going to change anything. Right. It didn't change you for the good. It didn't change the culture for the good. And nothing of eternal value yeah. actually happened. Nothing actually changed in the culture. Yeah. And I've been waiting for me, the abortion question in America it's it's a huge scourge on American society, and yeah. yet nobody has a clue how to change it. Right. And I've given a Barack Obama credit before because the abortion rate dropped during his presidency, and so you got to give credit where it's due. And so he was doing some things right. Right. I think we need to look at some of that and say, you know, whether I agree with him or disagree with him, what was he doing that was right? Yeah. And that was changing this for the better. And also what was happening at the time. And at the same time, we need to have people that are learned enough about the law and and passionate enough about it to follow through to the end and actually get something changed. Yeah. For me, that's one issue that I care about. Yeah. But there are others. And so a lot of people will want to change something. They'll want to do something. And the struggle is, how do you do it? How do you move from where you are to where you're going and devote devote your time to loving a person in front of you, whether that's somebody locally, but get started there locally and right. think about what, what you have to do to change a local problem. Right. And I think part of the thing too is, is assessing, um, assessing the cause over the symptom. Yeah. It's it's far too easy to to look at somebody who who is who is poor and say, "Okay, well I'm going to throw money at them so that they won't be poor anymore." As opposed to looking at it and saying, "Okay, what is their issue? Are they disabled? Are they just out of work?" 
Do they not have skills? Like looking at it saying, okay, what's the actual thing I can do to improve this person's lot in life? Not how can I feel better? What's a quick fix? Or do they, you know, do they need transportation? You, right. you never know. It right. can be so many different things that can create the situation that's happening. It's one of the things that I liked about the way the slave trade changed in Britain. He saw one place where if he kicked that leg of the stool out, the whole thing would fall down. Right. And that's looking at the root issue of what is going on and what is causing this. Rather than raging against a particular person or a particular entity, he went at the very basic of what was causing that. Yeah. Um, I have to think in natural disasters and things like that, the government wants to rush in and they want to hit it on all fronts. And one of the things that some really good Christian organizations have found out is that in a natural disaster, people need shelter. Mm -hmm. They need a tarp on their roof. That's what the first thing they need. And like Samaritan's Purse and some of those guys, they're the first people there and they have tarps. They're ready to put it on the roof and like solve the immediate need. Right. And that is so valuable rather than saying, you know, oh, we have to work with this local city government official and we have to see what kind of resources they have and, you know, making sure everybody's in the political structure is taken care of. Right. No, there's a real need and we need to meet it. Right. You know. Right. And again, that that comes to that issue of, of of addressing the problem and not addressing a symptom or not, as we talked about, virtue signaling and just trying to do something that just makes us feel better or more superior. Um, <clears throat> I think that, that one of the things I, I, I think is so important to actually affecting change in a culture is to lay aside differences in favor of the thing that unifies. Yeah, You know, you look at the civil rights movement, and I guarantee you there were a lot of different, and you even saw radically different ideologies in guys like Malcolm X and, and um, Martin Luther King, who Malcolm X was, while not uh, espousing direct violence, instigated violence, he was, he was one who espoused retaliatory, retaliatory violence without, without hesitation. Um, now he started to kind of change some of his thinking later on in life. Um, and, and him and Martin Luther King started to see a little bit more eye to eye because they looked at the greater goal of what they were trying to do. And there was value in them coming together. Yes. And that would be the same if you're trying to change things at the political level, you're not going to do that through one party. Right. I mean, we see that right now, the one party's undoing a lot of what the previous party had done. And then when that party leaves, right. the next we'll one's going to do some of that. Right. So if you can't find commonality to change, to make a change for the better, it's not going to happen. Right. If you can't, if you can only work with somebody that sees things from your perspective, you're not going to get anywhere. Right. You need businessmen. You need people on the ground. You need people of all walks of life. If you're going to change a cultural problem. Yeah. And, and I would say, you know, the thing that I've seen, again, be the most effective is, is engagement in a local community immediately. That, that, is the, that is the precursor for affecting large-scale change. So what some people will say when they're doing slacktivism and changing their profile pick and whatever is that they are raising awareness. That's one of my least favorite buzzwords ever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm raising awareness. It's kind of like... The value that I'm bringing to the table here is a commercial, right? Like an advertisement. And I don't know. I maybe I'm just a skeptical person, but I don't buy 
that advertising is really as valuable as people say it is. Yeah. Now, my brother-in-law, who's a marketer, could probably prove me wrong with all <laughs> kinds of statistics. But other than Taco Bell, I don't buy <laughs> anything just based on a commercial. Yeah. That I see it on a commercial and I want it. Taco Bell, as soon as they put something up there, I have to go try it. It's just a weird <laughs> thing. I don't know. It's very specific. It's it's very weird. I'm sorry. But maybe I just disproved my entire point. But the raising awareness is not enough. Yeah. It's not enough just to make everybody aware of the issue. I think everybody's aware that there are places in America that are impoverished right, for various different reasons. But I think everybody's aware that there's places that breed terrorism in the world. Right. We're aware of these things. What does raising awareness do? Right. Raising awareness of particular diseases and raising awareness of, I don't know, it's social media has made this so much worse. Yeah. And I would say has made it easier, which is the problem. And so the value that you're doing when you're raising awareness, what is that? Is that worth like 50 cents advertising because you have like, Oh, 500 friends, right? reaches 500 people. What's that worth? I mean, right. what does it do? Right. Maybe I'm doing this whole podcast because I hate <laughs> raising awareness, virtue signaling, and all this. And I actually like movements that spawn change, real change. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, But again, I think that's why you don't see a whole lot of them throughout history. You know, there are... There are singular moments where where something is unified, something somebody gets behind something, a group of people get behind an issue, and they carry it to the end, and they're willing to give up anything, they're willing to sacrifice, they're willing to do anything to bring this thing to fruition, and you see that, you know, in it, for example, in the abolitionist movement for during the Civil War, you know. Granted, a lot of abolitionists were extremely radical people, but they put their blood where their mouth was, so to speak. They they were willing to spill their blood to make what they saw as this abomination cease. You also have the same thing happen in the French Revolution, where yeah. people all lined up behind something and ended up saying, well, whatever I have to do to get something, to get the aristocracy out of here, it's worth it. And right. they're... They're killing people in the streets. Right. Just based on, I have to change something. Right. And so it can go good and it can go bad if you're just lining up behind people that support a movement. Right. And I think every single political person that's come to power has tapped into a little bit of some movement of some kind. Yeah, for sure. In order to propel them for sure. To the front, and that's gone good, and it's gone bad. Right. Nazism being a perfect example of how it went bad. Yeah. There were a lot of legitimate grievances and legitimate things that Nazism tried to address, you know, that they wanted to deal with that were legitimate problems in Germany. And a lot of the harsh penalties of World War One that the Germans were living under made them feel like they didn't have anything, they couldn't do anything, they, they were subservient to the cultures around them, and all right. of a sudden you have somebody saying, no, you guys are the best. Right. In fact, you're greater than all of them. You need to believe in yourselves. And here you go. You've got a whole movement and people lined up behind it. And all of a sudden they're like, uh, 
you know. Yes. And then have, by the time it went south, then it was too late to divorce yourself from it. Yeah. And you're part of a movement you didn't want to be a part of. So to have a movement is not enough. No. You have to you have to The cause be, has to be just in its entirety. Yes. It has to be just. And that's why the civil rights movement was so great, because the cause was absolutely just. It was written there in black and white, you know, all men are created equal. Right. That was a just cause. Right. We are all equal. We are all created that right. way. And that was the thing is there was no exclusivity to that movement. You saw white people in that, in those Yeah, in those watch marches. the I you Have saw, a Dream speech. Yeah. The audience is pretty well made up of the American demographic. Right. There's black people, but there's tons of white people too. I mean, everybody was included in, in that movement and it was a just cause. It was a righteous movement. I, I would say if you're looking to make change in your culture, yes, do it locally. Yes. Look for the opportunity and the timing, but yes, make sure that the people you're surrounding yourself with are doing things in a just way yeah. because it could bring the whole cause down. I mean, if, like you said, some of early Malcolm X, some, you know, if that had capitalized the entire movement, we'd be remembering something much different. Right. Um, if, and it would have given the excuse for that movement's destruction. Yeah. And it, and violent parts of a movement can often do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I you read about the French Revolution and you're like, wow, was this, this started out seemingly like a just cause, but what it took to get there was right. way too much, you and know? Then they, and then they ended up with another monarchy after it was all said and done. That's right. And it didn't get anywhere. <laughs> no. And then Napoleon. <laughs> so, yeah, I think to affect change in our culture, the other thing is, revival has to happen. You have to change hearts. Yeah. And the only one that can do that is Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I believe that the most, the the way to change a community is to get people on fire for God. One person on fire for God, living the way Jesus lived will attract that crowd that you're looking for. Right. Will attract the movement that you're looking for. Right. You living in a place where you're surrendered to God and where you're looking towards him only and not to further yourself, but to make the world a better place in the way that he would right. will attract the following that you're looking to, that you're looking to the movement that you're looking to create. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that's the thing you have to, you have to consider about Jesus just in general, you know, he, his goal was not to eradicate, but was to establish. Yeah. And yes, some things were eradicated because of him establishing. But his goal was establishment. His goal was to set something up. Yeah, and to build something. In the kingdom something. of God. Yes. He was a carpenter. He knew how to build something. Yes. Yes. He was a creator. Yes. And so so approaching it from that standpoint is a much healthier healthier way to look at it. Is not what am I going to setting out to destroy? What am I setting out to eradicate? But what am I setting out to establish? What am I setting out to build? And ultimately, you know, anybody who's a follower of Christ, that ultimately has to come down to being kingdom, has to be about building the kingdom. And there's so much that comes under that umbrella. I mean, it's an unbelievably large. It might be more like a, a, a three pole big top tent. You know, it might be <laughs> an umbrella is a little small. But but it is a wide and varying thing that that there's so much freedom within, 
uh, to seek justice. There's so much freedom within to seek social and even political change. Um, but it has to be at its heart. It has to be about establishing kingdom. And if it's not, that's when things are going to go sideways. That's when things are going to get uh, screwy. Yeah, and that was the power of the I Have a Dream speech. Yeah. He tapped into that, yeah. and he showed the kingdom in words. He showed the kingdom that he was looking to establish. Yeah. And it was a good, it was a good prosperous place yeah. that people wanted to go to. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't Hitler, where Hitler was talking about a prosperous place to go to, but that was like where you are ruling over someone else right. and you're stomping people under your feet. Right. This, this movement was about bringing people along yes. and not opposing someone else or casting someone else down right. to establish yourself. Right. It's about establishing all of us into a better place, into a better community or a better nation, a better light. Yeah. Um, and to move people in that direction, it has to be about building others up and loving people to the point that they want to change. Yep. So anyway, so that's, we're talking a little bit about changing culture and I don't think it comes through a Facebook post. No, so. no, not at all. Not at all. So in the end, if you're wanting to change the world, do something. Do something in your local community. Do something with your neighbor. And change your heart. Yes. Get your heart right. Come before God and ask Him what He wants to change. Yep. And follow Him into that because then you have, you have tapped into something far greater than yourself. That's right. Into the kingdom that He wants to establish. And to follow that is going to put you in a place of love and inclusion and not in a place where you're looking to cast other people down. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah, we'll go on that note. All right, again, guys, this is the things we say. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.